Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's the weekend. It's all about sports. And it's all on Sal's mind. It's Sports Talk Saturday with Sal Capaccio on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, back in the studio here. Joined by a special guest now for the next hour. It's not Nate Gary. He's not special enough. John Scott from Time Warner Cable News. What's up, man? Glad to have you in here. Hey, it's a great day. Big it, sports Saturday. It, it is. It's really cool. Have you been listening to the show? I was listening when I driving in. And have you listened like about early on? All the cap. The first hour, I may have had more calls than I've ever had in one hour. Really? The Kaepernick thing was well, just on fire. Well, I missed it, fire. so we're going to have to repeat. We'll, we'll get in. I want to get your thoughts on that. But here's an example of something I, I, I said early on, John. All right? Here, here's an example. I said early on, it just seems to me that people only want to hear what they want to hear about it. They don't actually want to listen to what someone says. So when I say, hey, I don't like what he's doing, but he has every right, and I'm supporting him even more than I even normally would, simply because the, the, the flip side is the vitriolic reaction is even worse. I get a tweet here. This was coming to us in our WGR account. This was not tweeted to me. This was tweeted to our WGR account. Someone says, Matt says this. Ready? So hypocritical. Let's let Kaepernick do what he wants because this is right, but we should not speak our minds because it's mean. Matt, if that's what you think was said, I can't help you. No one said that here. You should absolutely do that. But I will say, it's not about being mean. You know right from wrong. You know right from wrong as an adult how you should react to somebody, even when you disagree with what they're saying or doing or standing for. That's my problem with this thing, John, is people get way too quickly to the, I don't want to hear about it, it's wrong, and I'm going to shout at him and say this. But you might have a different take on it. I don't know. What do you think about this whole thing? My take is... I applaud him for using the platform that he has, which is arguably one of the largest in this country, to bring about awareness and try to bring about change to a topic that is clearly a major issue here in this country, and that's racial relations. I personally don't believe that doing that during the national anthem is the proper timing of that, because I feel the national anthem is meant for respecting and honoring and remembering those who have fought and served our country and those who have lost their lives. So if his problem is with racial relations and especially relating to that and police and those people, you're not, they don't correlate to me. The national anthem is not the thing that correlates to trying to make a statement reflecting upon that topic in and of itself. So to me, I like him using his platform, and the fact is, even though he's now just becoming a starter again, he's a prominent name in the National Football League. So using his stance and his celebrity status to bring about more of a conversation and bringing it to the forefront, I absolutely approve of that. I don't approve of him doing it during the National Anthem, but maybe he felt that's the biggest place and the biggest stage that he could get the spotlight on him to get the topic rolling. To me, the the biggest thing now is, all right, everyone's talking about what he's doing. How is this now going to actually bring about change in regards to the racial tensions and relations between these two groups? And he that- has to take that next step. He is the one that has to do that because if he's going to do this, he has to say, well, I'm also going to try and help. You can't just protest something and say, hey, this is wrong. 
and not have an idea of how we can go to fix what is wrong. And and I think that early on was a lot of people's concern about this. But since then, it seems like at least he's taken steps, which I can't tell you exactly. He's donating money or something to some communities, things like that. That has to be the next step here. I absolutely agree with that. And believe me, this topic is so large and such a big one that no one person can change this here. So it's him trying to get in the front of this and be a leader to affect change because of his position and his platform. But to think that he can do it alone is unrealistic, and I think he understands that. He will do what he can monetarily and vocally, but it's going to have to continue to evolve, and I think that's the next step because if he just keeps kneeling during the national anthem and this keeps going in a circle in the news cycle, so to speak, I don't, I don't think that it's really doing what it is supposed to be doing. I agree with you. 803-0550-888-550-2550 in a lot of ways here because, you know, it's – I think you have to separate, you know, your personal feelings of why he's doing something with what we have the unalienable rights to do in this country and really what it's all about. And that's where it gets to me. And I, as I explained earlier in the program, I'm a first-generation son of an Italian immigrant who is very, very appreciative and respectful – of everything this country has afforded me. I mean, my father didn't even graduate high school, yet here I am living my dream, doing what I want on the radio and in TV in Buffalo where I grew up. And only because I live in this country do I even have those abilities to get to this point. And the fact that my father is a veteran or was a veteran, he died when I was young, who served in this country, fought in wars for this country, I am the last person who is going to kneel or sit or disrespect what that flag means in any way. But I'm also the first person to tell you my father actually fought for him to have this ability and even if I disagree, it doesn't mean that I have to go about it in a wrong way to show my displeasure with him, which I think is happening now, and that's what bothers me. We've gone from debating whether or not what he's doing is right or wrong to the people who feel that it's wrong, and many people, I shouldn't say all of them, obviously, but a segment of people taking it so far that it's really hurting the conversation because they're so wrong in their reaction. Do they disagree with what he's standing for? To me, that's the question. You might not. You might disagree with how he's going about it in regards to kneeling during the national anthem, but he hasn't said anything that is so off base to where people should have this such deep anger for him. I understand plenty of people. We all, most of us, have been affected and have ties to people who have served, and I could understand not liking what he's doing, but. I think you'd have to be blind or naive to not agree that this is a huge major issue in the country. And for someone to be willing to take that type of a step and put themselves out there, like clearly because he's getting the backlash that he is, I think you have to respect that. And you have to understand that he's doing it because he wants to get things done in a positive light. Let's go to uh, Mike in Jamestown. Mike, you're on WGR. John Scott's with me. I'm Sal Capaccio. Go ahead, Mike. Hi guys, thanks. I'm I'm a combat veteran, and I come from a family of veterans. And this reminds me of when I was a kid, my uncles and my grandfather, to some degree, being upset with Muhammad Ali because he wouldn't serve in the military. And these are both turbulent. They were both turbulent times. And uh, now that I'm a little older, I mean, I absolutely, absolutely support Colin Kaepernick's right to protest um, because that's part of what makes this country great. I don't agree with him. I, I disagree, frankly, with a lot of what he has to say. But I think the manner in which he chose to protest shows a lack of foresight and and a lack of maturity because the result was inflaming people's passions to such a degree that his message becomes drowned out. out. 
That's interesting, Mike. And I understand that. I understand where, and by the way, thank you very much for your service. Thank you. I appreciate that. And your families, by the way. And I think, you know, like, I didn't like what was going on, you know, in Chautauqua, Chautauqua County because I thought things could be run better. So I started to become a part of the process. And I think he could have, bet, a better way for him to handle it would have hold press conferences on his own time, say what he needed to say, and be involved in the political process, back candidates, or run for office yourself. All right. No, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, and again, I think that that is going to the heart of this issue. It is because this issue, and maybe, and I was thinking about this, John, what do you think? If, if he had done this in 2015 or 2014, would, would it be the exact same? We are, we are so polarized right now with this election. No matter whose side you're on, I have not seen this polarizing of a country during an election like we have right now. And I think this particular issue with sports fans has made it cross over. And it's, it's, it's kind of even more inflaming because of it. This election is unlike any I think the country has ever seen for as long as it's been doing elections. And it's because you almost have two people on both ends of the spectrum and people want change one way or the other. So it's they they are just so riled up and either one end or the other. And I agree with you. That's really has the uh, the temperature of the country at a very high rate. I'm just seeing something on Twitter. I want to let you know this is uh, sad, sad to report. Uh, former Auburn. And Jaguars second-round pick Quinton Groves has passed away from a heart attack at the age of 32. He was with the Bills last year in preseason. Quinton Groves played at Auburn. Former second-round pick, very good college linebacker at Auburn. Went out to play with the Jaguars. He was drafted. He was with uh, the Bills last year at camp for a little while. He has passed away, apparently, from many, many reports here uh, at the age of 32. Boy, that, that, is, uh, that is really sad to, to, to hear. 803-0550, 888 552, 550. All right, on the field tomorrow. I'm actually, from a, from a, I grew up loving like things on the news, like newsy stories. You know, I wanted to get into this business not just because I love sports, but I also because I loved kind of the news and, and the way things work in the country and covering stories. It'll be interesting, and I'm looking forward to how the dynamic is tomorrow, even though I hope Bills fans obviously act properly. I'm going to be on the field with this guy. And I keep thinking about that. That's that's going to be an interesting dynamic tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see if Bills fans are in their seats early enough to right. be there to maybe either razz them before the game or be there for the anthem. Because as we know, they like to get their last maybe one or two brews and dogs in and maybe filter in a little bit closer to kickoff. So maybe we'll see if this is as important to some of these people to get their say in and their booze in. Let's see if they're actually in the stadium early enough to uh, to get their piece. And and I, I think that's going to be... I've What I've done, John, is... I don't know if you've done this. You tell me. You're at every game. Um, I, during the anthem, because I'm on the field, I always look down the Bills' sideline to see if there's anyone sitting or kneeling or have their hand up in protest like some of the Eagles have done. I have not seen one. I don't think I will. Tomorrow would be the day if anybody did it, maybe. From talking to the guys in the locker I don't room think this happen, week, right? I, I don't either. A lot of them, the ones that I spoke to this week, it was, we respect Colin, we respect his cause, but we're more concerned with winning football games, and we don't want to add any other distractions. As we know with Rex, there have been plenty, mm-hmm. even if he tries to avoid them. So their stance is, I guess, the guys have talked about it in the locker room. It wasn't like a gathering around, hey guys, let's talk about it, but amongst themselves, Corbin Bryant said, you know, maybe... I'll talk to this guy and this guy, and it'll just be a, a conversation that'll continue. And Corbin said, listen, if I want to get my feeling on the issue out, I'll go to social media. I'll talk to a reporter or something like that. I don't need to 
do it on the field before the game in that type of a protest. And I think that's been the case up to this point, and I don't think tomorrow will be any different. And Rex has kind of made it clear that you know he'd rather not have that happen, but it's if that happens, that's okay. He's not going to obviously stand in anybody's way. He's mm-hmm. made that clear, but he's also made it clear he'd rather not have that happen with his team in so many words. Yeah, and again, they, they have enough people and right. eyes looking at them and nitpicking things that really don't need to be issues that to add something of that magnitude that's such a hot topic i think it's best and they continue to avoid it 8030550888552550 you can follow me on twitter at sell sports you know that john you can give your twitter handle as well at john j o n t w c news what's up with the J- what's up with the, the the no h there what happened with that uh, john y- your parents was this a family thing my name is jonathan j o n a t h a n so when you shorten now, it there's no h but it, but don't a lot of Jonathan shorten it and still J O H N? If they do, I don't, know. I, I don't know. I just my parents didn't shorten it. This was just me in like fifth or well, sixth wait, grade. Wait. I'm like, I just want to do it. Thomas is T H O M A S, but Tom is T O M. There's no H, right? We're getting it's real kinda, deep. Kind of weird. I don't know. I've always been kind of fascinated by that. On the field tomorrow, Colin Kaepernick takes over a one and four 49ers team where let's face it, they have struggled offensively. What kind of dynamic? Do you think he presents the Bills that could be challenging, or do you think it will be challenging at all for them? The players seem to say it's not too different because Gabbert can still run, so he's not as dynamic as Colin Kaepernick, certainly. But Kaepernick, since Jim Harbaugh left, has not been the same Colin Kaepernick that continued to progress and took them to the Super Bowl and nearly won the Super Bowl. I think you don't know how well he's progressed under Chip Kelly, but he didn't beat out Blaine Gabbert in the preseason. Now, Chip did say he wasn't fully healthy and mm-hmm. wouldn't comment on if he was, whether or not Blaine Gabbert still would have won the job. But I still think if you even base it off of last year, and he even in his best seasons wasn't the most accurate guy, didn't make the best decisions. I think if the Bills, as they say, keep to their assignments, I think it should be a game that they should win rather easily. One of the toughest things to teach, to coach, to do in football, and I'm telling you this, the one of the toughest things to do is to defend the option because it's the hardest thing to tell a football player, I don't care that that guy doesn't have the ball, you have to go to him. And the other guy who's standing five feet from you has the ball, and you can't go to him. That's what makes the option so tough to defend. That's why it works so well. You have to, you as a football player, think about this now, for those of you who've never played or coached or whatever, you actually have to, as a player, you see the quarterback coming at you you have to go to the running back if that's your assignment because option football is assignment football. It's one guy goes to the quarterback and takes him. One guy goes to the running back and take him, takes him. As a coach, you tell that. You rep it. You say, I don't care. I used to tell kids, John, I don't care if the quarterback walks the football up to you and hands it to you. You have to go to the running back because that's what you got to do because the minute you don't, it's pitched and it's gone. That is the challenge of this week's defense. But I think with the players this team has – a Lorenzo Alexander, a Jerry Hughes, a Preston Brown, a Zach Brown. They seem like they've been pretty darn disciplined in the way they're running this defense this year. And it's a matter of, on those edge rushers as well. You get that push up front with Kyle Adolphus, mm-hmm. Doosable. Those guys have been getting great push up front. It's keeping those guys on the outside. I even heard Lorenzo say, maybe you take away the spin move to the inside because then that breaks the contain and he can go out. Again, that goes to that discipline of almost making that circular thing around the pocket and keeping him in there. If Colin Kaepernick has to throw the ball more than he runs it, 
that's what you want to do in that in that regard. Maybe from the beginning of the game, maybe Kaepernick rips off a couple runs and they just have to maybe make some adjustments. But I think in the long term, he can't beat you just running. He's going to have to throw the right. ball. And I think the Bills secondary, and I also think the Niners receiving core doesn't really present that challenge to where they're capable of beating the Jeremy Bills. Curley's their number one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? And Rex coach Jeremy Curley, by the way. Uh, he probably already cut, or probably had cut him once in a while. I don't even Tory know. Corey Smith is right. on there, and he's a lot of people preseason thought he'd maybe have a bounce back, and he's been nothing. The 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 thing that I think here's what I think the Bills have to worry about tomorrow. This offense, the fast paced nature of it, will catch you in substitutions. They'll catch you in alignment. We know from a year ago that was the issue, and it it popped up last week, John. It popped up in L.A. The Bills were running guys off and on the field. They had 12 guys in the field at one point. They had 10 guys in the field for a field goal. That happens tomorrow. The Niners will have a chance for a big play, especially with Kaepernick. That is the danger for tomorrow. So tomorrow, I think they have to reduce that communication. You can't have, especially in a loud stadium when San Francisco's got the ball. You've got to rely a lot more on hand signals, and I don't think they can do a lot of sub-packaging tomorrow. I think they got to stay with whatever personnel, their base, their nickel, whatever. I think they have to play with those guys on the field for the most part. And they got a taste of it against Philadelphia, and they did... All right, mm-hmm. but I think we all can agree this defense, communication, and even maybe personnel-wise, better suited and better than it was a year ago. Yeah, no doubt about that. 803-0550 if you want to jump on board. John Scott from uh, Time Warner Cable News is joining me. Sal Capaccio here on Sports Talk Saturday. Other side of the ball. Look, if you're looking for the Bills to suddenly have this passing game you can have a lot of faith in, don't look to tomorrow. I, I can't see it, right? They're gonna, they got to run the ball 35 times tomorrow, right? I mean, that's what... That's what they do well, and that's what the Niners don't do. And once you get up by 10, that's the sound of the air coming out of the ball. Sit on it and just keep running. And it goes to the pace as well. If you are having quick hit plays on offense, that defense continues to go out there and is getting gassed because of the quick pace of things. It does do them well to continue to run the football. And if it's not broke, why fix it? Yeah, and I think LaShawn McCoy tomorrow should have a big day, the way that this team is running the ball. Now, the Niners could have a different plan. They could load up, put nine in the box, and say, okay, Tyrod, you got one-on-one, go beat it. And if that's the case, yeah, Tyrod's got to play better. But, John, I think these receivers got to step up a little bit. Last week, there were too many drops. There were guys that should have been in spots. Maybe they they weren't at a time that Tyrod wanted them there. And I'm not not telling you Tyrod was great. He wasn't. He had his issues last week. But let's be honest, the receiving core had issues, too. Yeah, I what, four drops, I believe right. there was last week. And yeah, guys aren't necessarily winning one-on-one battles mm-hmm. as well. And if Tyrod's not, if it's not there on the first read and then he has to scramble or it's a little inaccurate, well then whose fault really is that? Is it the receivers? Because from the novice perspective, if the throw isn't completed to the receiver, it's usually thought of as the quarterback's fault. Right. But when a coach or more of an expert looks at the film, they can tell, well, the receiver wasn't here. I remember during training camp, we all thought Walter Powell was fantastic. Yes, right. Midway through, Rex ripped him and said, oh, he's not in the right spots and he's not, not running routes correctly. I had no idea. I just looked at him making all these catches in preseason games and in practice. And to me, he was the star of the show. Now, ultimately, he made the team and Rex said he made improvements. But He also those, had a big drop last week. Exactly. But those are things that the average Joe will not be able to tell that maybe – it isn't all Tyrod's fault. No doubt about that. Uh, so overall, this game for me tomorrow, look, if you want to play with the big boys in this league, if you want to be a playoff team, and this team has made no bones about it, the way that they've conducted themselves, the way they've talked, 
They expect to be in the playoffs. They, that is their goal. That is how they've been geared. That is how they built this roster for the last couple of years, not just this year. And last year was a disappointment not to be there. But if you want to be that team, you want to be in the playoffs, you have to beat a team like San Francisco. It's just as simple as that. You can't lose this game. As I said last week or two weeks ago, John, you, you got to beat Jacoby Brissett. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter who his head coach is. If you want to be a playoff team, you you pay your head coach $5 million, who's a defensive guru and is one of the better defensive coaches of the last quarter century. You got to beat Jacoby Brissett. They did. You got to beat Case Keenum. They did. Well, guess what? You got to beat San Francisco. They're not that good. And they got to beat Miami because they're maybe even worse on offense than San Francisco. Absolutely. We talk about five and two, and you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. And the players say they're not going to get too far ahead of themselves, but they absolutely feel that they're the better team and that they should win this game and that they should go into that New England game at home at the end of the month, five and two, and then go to Seattle, whatever it may be. And then you go into the bye at worst, five and four. And you're sitting there looking, all right, with seven games to go, we're right in the thick of it. Yeah, I mean, I, if they went 5-2 and two and lost two straight, you'd be huh, thinking because you got Cincinnati coming up after that. But you're right. If you, can get to the, if you can get to the bye still with a winning record, I think there's at least some action still in the season where you can be encouraged by it. Because a lot of times, by week eight, we're thinking, what are we doing here? Right? What are we doing? 4-4, four and 3-5, four, and got to come out and really run, run November. You know? But it's not necessarily the case. You set you win these two games. You set yourself up for a huge, huge matchup against Brady and the Patriots. And I wouldn't pick them right now to beat Brady and the Patriots. It's still Tom Brady. It's still the New England Patriots. But boy, that would be one heck of a scene at New Era Field if you had the Bills at five and two against the Pats at either six and one with their only loss of the Bills or five and two. Because let's remember the Pats got Cincinnati, which I think they should take care of. Then they go to Pittsburgh before they play Buffalo. This is where you find out, is this a different season? Is this a different team than what we've seen the past 16 years? If this is a different team, they win the games they're supposed to win, and they even win some games, arguably like the Arizona game, that most people feel that they don't. And the difference was, a few years ago, when they went 9-7, and they're sitting there in Oakland saying, all right, we're going to beat the Raiders, and then we're going to go down this little stretch, and we're going to be right in it, maybe get a win our way, and then they lose to the Raiders. And that showed that that team was not really different than anyone we've seen for the 16 years that's, here. That's right. All right, so John is from Cleveland. His Browns I've taken three times this year in my Three Dog Saturday selections. They were good to me. I'm sorry, I've taken a, I'm sorry. I've taken them twice this year in my Three Dog selection, selections. They were good to me in week 3. They covered against Miami. They were bad to me last week. I picked them last week to cover 10 and a half. And then Kessler got hurt and you know, Terrell Pryor was playing quarterback. Yeah. I'm not saying they would have covered anyway, but it just right from the get-go, you're like, oh, I'm not covering. It was the only loss I had last week. But will I pick them again this week? Because, again, Cleveland is an underdog. They're a seven-point underdog to the Tennessee Titans. My three-dog Saturday selections, I'm eight and four on the season. Haven't had a losing record since week two. I'll give you those when we come back, and then we'll talk about a little bit about the Browns themselves, uh, what's going on with their situation there as they rebuild. But really, I want to get into this ALCS with John. He's a big Indians fan, and what it was like going through that championship with LeBron. You all, you disgusting people. You just all disgusting. We had championships now in Cleveland. What? You win one, now you got to have everything. You're so damn greedy. We'll talk about that when we come back with John Scott, Time Warner Cable News on WGR next. Right, we're going to get to uh, Three Dog Saturday here in a minute. Sal Capaccio, John Scott joining me from Time Warner Cable News. Big high school football uh, day today. It's rivalry day. It's rivalry weekend, right? So sorry to pull you from there. I know you like some of that stuff. I had a great game last night, Maryvale and Cheektowaga overtime. Uh, I wish I went. So here's what happened to me last night. I have a friend who coaches at Hornell, okay. which you know is a big-time program. They've won state championships. He texted me and said, I'm scout- coming to scout Cheektowaga because if we win and they win, we play them. 
And he said, you know, do you want to get together? I went to college with him at Syracuse. I haven't seen him in 22 years. And I said, uh, sure. You know, I, I said, let's meet. We had a restaurant. So he's texting me the game. I'm at the restaurant. He's texting me. Oh, my God. Close game. Overtime. I was so mad I didn't go. What was it like? Chiktuaga jumps out 14-0 early first half. Maryvale then rips off 26 straight points and holds a 26-14 lead early in the fourth. Chiktuaga, Eric Bartnick is their quarterback. Yep. The kid is sensational. And they have a great receiver, Parker, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. 14 catches over 200 yards yesterday. The kid's a monster. So Bartnick starts running rampant. They tie the game 26-26. They had some shots at the end of regulation Parker was called out of bounds. Another one, a holding penalty, negated a touchdown. Overtime, Chiktuaga starts. Bartnick runs it in for a touchdown, runs in the two-point conversion. Penalties and defense, and Maryvale can't score. Wow. So 34-26 in overtime. That's a big rival right there. Chiktuaga's a real good program. Maryvale's really much more improved this year. They've been, they've been on the come the last couple of years. They both were undefeated. And their AD is a former coach of mine, uh, Steve Griffin. He uh, coached Wait. me at Cleveland Hill. Is that true? That's, yes. That's family right there come on Chad, my cousin chad is his son yeah he's assistant coach and shane yeah, of course you know shane right yeah, so yeah. shane my girlfriend in high school is shane's babysitter wow yes the, revelations absolutely on a saturday morning all Not, amazing we'll have, to, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll have coffee sometime we okay nate yeah. good, good to know you uh anyway so that's pretty funny but <laughs> they um they they're they're there's a lot of good football in chiktawaga today my alma mater, Cleveland Hill, who beat Medina last week, was a B powerhouse, but yet stepped up from C to beat them. Their number, they were the number two small school. Cleveland Hill plays JFK today, which is that rival game. Then you had the TNT rivalry last night, right? Mm-hmm. You have Canisius St. Joe's going on right now. Last week, were you at the fight, Timon and St. Joe's? I was not at the fight. We did have a photographer there who got video of the fight, including Chad Kelly's part in it as well. And I wasn't there, so I can't really comment on why and really what happened outside of just what I saw in video. But anytime you see that in general, whatever reason it started, I mean, it, it was pretty vicious. Right. It was uh, and from all aspects. And I don't agree with Chad going on the field. I understand the emotional aspect of it. I do. And I respect that. But you can't do it. You just can't do it. There's a lot of parents. There's a lot of brothers. There's a lot of sisters out there. None of them also ran on the field as far as I know. And his he was on the field. So he was on the sidelines because he's an alum. I believe he was there was a small fence that he had to get over, I believe. I Have you told. been to Tift before? No, no, not really. It's Okay, so there, there's really Yeah, I mean it's I got you. it's basically like an open pasture okay, okay. out there. So he was <laughs> he was there and came out of, came out, of the field. out there. In South I don't Buffalo? disagree in the sense of someone going after to try to protect and be at the side of their family member in a in a time of distress unfortunately for chad his history yes kind of dictates that made this overblown in a in a sense in his well he's regard. always going to have more eyes on him and Correct. who he is i mean he has to know who he is and so what that, that situation so that is. thing went from timon and st joe's getting to a vicious brawl to chad kelly runs onto the field that really should not have been the story because chad really didn't do anything wrong it was the fight that was the really, really, really bad thing that should have been the story. Unfortunately, because of his history and some of his mistakes that he's had that he's said and, and tried to overcome and rebuild his reputation, unfortunately, like you said, all eyes are going to be on him. And that's what shifted the spotlight and the attention of the story from what it should have been just the fight, which it is now, to in the 24, 48 hours after that. Chad I mean, he Kelly. has to answer questions about it at an Ole Miss press conference. Correct. And he, and, you know, he said, I wish I didn't do it, but 
I'm going to come to the aid of my family. You know, there are a lot of people, John, a lot of people, you hear it, I hear it, who really want him to be here because he's Jim's nephew mm-hmm. and what it would represent and because he's a good quarterback, he's a good college quarterback. I think the best thing for this young man is to not play here. There was another Buffalo native who was here for a short period of time that... And that's not a knock on Chad. Uh, Correct. I'm saying that it's oftentimes better to not play in your hometown. And I think for everything that's surrounded him, it's probably better for his career that he plays somewhere else. And I know people that were friends with another Buffalo guy who was with the organization Mm -hmm. recently who said him coming home did not work. That's right. It did not work because all of his boys are still here and it didn't get him the proper atmosphere that he needed to be successful here and he's no longer with the team well uh i i wish i could go root on my eagles today they'll be at jfk got a lot of rivalry games out there it's a beautiful day for it and we will have all the highlights on time Warner yeah Cable. great plug i love that you did that thank you um but i'll be uh actually i'm headed down i've never been you're been to the Col- colden market no colden market and cafe it's no. down in colden obviously but it's down near boston and uh my buddy joe Caldrelli from nissan he actually it's, it's his place so he kind of invited me and my family down there. We're going to go down there, hang out today, you know, just have a little weekend getaway. So we'll be down there today. That'll be pretty cool. I guess they do. It's a great area to visit. So I'm going to be headed down there today. So I can't get out to uh, watch my Eagles, but I'll be rooting them on. I was, I landed last week in LA, opened up my Twitter feed to see they beat Medina. That was the best tweet to open up to because I'm proud alum and I love them and still coaches that were my coaches that were like father figures to me, but I'm going to head down there. So down, by the way, if you're down in the Colden area, maybe stop by. Maybe you'll see me uh, hanging out with uh, Joe and the guys down there at the, just talking football. Ball, just you know, family little get together for me and a little get a, get away. So we'll do that. All right, you ready for three dogs Saturday? And then John and you and Nate can uh, can piggyback and tell me what you think. I was two and one last week. I lost the Browns plus ten and a half against New England. I won with San Diego plus four and a half at Oakland, and with the Redskins plus four at Baltimore. Eight and four on the season. I'm going to start again with old familiar, the Washington Redskins guys. They are getting three points playing the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're playing the Eagles. They're getting them at home, by the way. Washington's playing well. They've won three games in a row. Like the Bills, they lost two. They won three in a row. The, the, the D is playing a lot better the last couple of weeks. Now, I think also, to go along with that, they're playing a Carson Wentz that maybe the league is starting to catch up to a little bit after several weeks, all right? There's more film on this guy. I know he's got a high completion percentage, but it's a lot of short, safe throws. In fact, the Eagles are 20th in yards per game throwing and 18th and yards per completion for Carson Wentz. Also, here's a great stat for you. I know Nate loves these kind of stats. Ready? Philadelphia, when favored a second week in a row, is only 8-24 and in their last 32. When favored two weeks in a row, they're only eight times they've covered in their last 32 in that second game. That's they were favored. La- that, that's right. They favored last week. They're, they're favored again this week. I'm taking the Redskins plus three. Speaking of Jeff Fisher, nice segue. I'm taking the Rams plus the three points over the Lions. Man, the Lions are a weird team. Can we say that every year? They beat Philly last week. It was undefeated. But they've lost to Tennessee and Chicago. All right? And in those games, they scored a total, a total of 29 points. The Lions, following a win, following an actual win, Nate, have covered only 11 of their last 35 games following a win. They are not good at backing up a win with another win. And then you have Jeff Fisher. This is the stat that you were just referring to. As an underdog in his career, Jeff Fisher, 102-72 and 72 as an underdog in his career. I'm going to take the Rams plus the three over the Lions. And finally, boys, I'm going back to the well. I'm taking your brownies. They're getting seven points, John, against the Titans. Can I ask you guys a question? 
How in the world are the Titans seven-point favorites over anyone? I don't understand this. Even the Browns, it doesn't matter to me. They're a bad football team. They're two and three. They beat Miami last week, who's really bad. And I think betters are fooled right now by it. They scored 30 points, but in their previous four games, the Titans, before last week, 16 points, 16 points, 10 points, 20 points, 15.5 a game. All right. Cleveland has had the lead in the fourth quarter twice already this year. And the one the one time they didn't, they lost the game in overtime. They're fifth in the league in rushing. All right, they can do that. They can do that well. They're going to win one of these weeks. They're going to. I like Hugh Jackson as a coach. In Tennessee, another one of those stats that Nate loves, Tennessee has covered only four of their last 23 home games. All right, Marcus Mariota not having the second season that many thought he would. Right now, only 60% completion percentage, and his TD to interception ratio is 7 to 5. All right? So I'm taking the Browns plus the 7 over the Titans. I'm taking the Rams plus the 3 over the Lions. I'm taking the Redskins also plus the 3 over the Eagles. That's your three-dog Saturday. Comments? Ho, 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 ho. Go Dog Browns. Pound. You like that? <laughs> you like them tomorrow? 7, come on, against Tennessee? I agree with you. They've been in games that I feel they have no business being in. Now, we know Miami's not very good, but They've been in some games, and I'm like, they're going to actually win one of these if they can keep a quarterback they're standing gonna, upright. They're going to win soon. I hope they're not like winless when they play Buffalo in Buffalo <laughs> in December because that's just a wounded animal ready to go. But uh, they are going to win a game here soon. What do you think about those picks? Yeah, I mean, Cody Kessler's kind of been sort of impressive. He's going back in too, right? He is, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been a pretty impressive for a guy that, I mean, obviously nobody in Cleveland, I don't think anybody around the league expected him to get any playing time this year. Um, an interesting pick, though. I, I, I just think eventually Jeff Fisher has to resort back <laughs> to being Jeff Fisher, and they're they gonna, might not win, but he covers. Get, he covers. They have to get As eight losses somewhere. Yeah. So I think that's it's right. Start. I think it's gonna last start week was today. one. Last yeah. week was one. But don't the Lions also have to do that? Yeah. Aren't the Lions the perpetual eight and eight team also, and the nine and seven team? The, I mean, li- the Lions and the Browns, the uh, <laughs> the bottom feeders of the Midwest. Well, the Bills have always been that mediocre team as well. This year they have a chance. They're already they're three and two. Obviously, uh, they're going in tomorrow with a chance to win four in a row. We'll have everything for you starting with breakfast with the Bills at seven a.m. Bills game day at eight. Countdown to kickoff at ten, and then San Francisco Buffalo from New Era Field. Join Murph Kelso and myself on the call post game right after which open the Bulldog. Nate Geary has your overtime program it's on, after it, that. Can I can I plug this? Yeah. Since, uh, since I I got you in on my sure. Go ahead. Week. Uh, the overtime show will be on ESPN fifteen twenty. Oh, okay. Thank you for because the Sabers pregame starts at six. That's thank usually you. an overtime show, so I'll be headed over to the other station. But we will still be on six to eight ESPN fifteen twenty. The studio is like right down there, so you're not going to have any trouble getting Pretty there, close. right? You're, Pretty you're, close. You can drive there. You can walk there. We'll be what, good. It's like literally five, fifteen feet from where he's sitting right mm-hmm. now. So uh, Browns, real quick, I want to ask you a question about Josh Gordon. You've seen this saga play out. I still think the Bills should investigate this, considering what they need at wide receiver and where they are, the Browns, in trying to reload their team and dumping guys. Am I stupid for that? It would cost maybe... You want to say yes. That's okay. You can call me stupid on no, the radio. No, I, I don't want to say stupid. It's just, what what do you have in Josh Gordon? Now, that is the question that would you then say, what do you have to give up? Now, if you're giving up a sixth or a seventh, okay, I think that that's a low low-risk, high-reward acquisition. But how many other teams in the National Football League would be willing to give up a 6th or a 7th round pick for Josh Gordon? One, you don't know when he's getting out of rehab. Two, you haven't seen the guy really outside of a preseason touchdown or so. You haven't seen him do anything on a field for over two years. Mm -hmm. And it's still that's the problem because what happens if he does get reinstated and then he fails another test? 
is he gone? Is that is that the case? So it, it's all about the value. So investigate. No, the no one would be stupid to investigate it. But also, are the Browns just going to keep him around to see if they can trade him, or at what point do they just cut bait and then anyone can sign him? That's a great point as well. It's a, it's an interesting situation there. Uh, what is also interesting is the number of quarterbacks they've had. Uh, we're going to hit a timeout here, and I want to get to the ALCS. But real quickly, on your brownies, what does the future look like for those <laughs> for them? I'll say if you, Jack- I, like, I love Hugh, but if, if Hugh Jackson can make Cody Kessler look somewhat comp- competent yep, yep. as an NFL quarterback, imagine if he gets a Deshaun Kaiser or a Deshaun Watson. You like them both? You think I, I, Watson? I don't know if he's going to translate that well. I've been I watching don't either, him. I don't but- know. I think Kaiser will. I don't know if Watson will. Would they take him though? I mean, they had a chance last year. And they 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 balked out at taking Wentz. Come on, because they, they, they well, they didn't think it. I mean, have you? I mean, yes, we've seen Wentz, but Wentz went up, went against the Browns defense and some other things. And as you said, it's intermediate. I know short you're right. Throws. But but Moneyball with Moneyball, do they take a quarterback at the top of the draft? Because they're a Moneyball team right now. I think you have to at some point. I think conventional wisdom is you look at all of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League, and how many of them are the exceptions? The Brady and the Russell Wilsons. Mm-hmm. And how many of them are first round right. picks that are successful? That's just the, that's just the numbers game. And but I also wouldn't have a problem with them, kind of like what Washington did. All right, we're going to take one in the first round, but if we like one in the third, because it's all about numbers. I'm just penning a letter right now, dear Cleveland Browns. Hugh Jackson is a good coach. He needs players. <laughs> Thank you. Signed, every NFL fan. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do. I like you. I just see these players, man. They don't, they don't give anybody. They need defense. That's what they the got weird rid thing. of everybody. And they didn't give them anybody, so they better stick with them because that was the plan, and it's not his fault. All right, ALCS, Indians, Blue Jays. John's a Cleveland guy. We'll get his take on that. They just won the championship in the NBA with LeBron James, and we'll get into all that when we come back. We got one more segment on Sports Talk Saturday. Hey, uh, just because John's a good-looking dude here sitting next to me doesn't mean I need the quiet storm music to go along with the uh, <laughs> final. Uh, Segment here. John, thanks for joining uh, joining me here in the studio today. John Scott from uh, Time Warner Cable News. Hey, thanks. It's been awesome. And quick. Uh, real, real quick again, plug all your stuff so I don't forget. All right, at John TWC News, no H, so at J-O-N TWC News. I'm actually anchoring tonight mm. on Time Warner Cable News. That is Channel 9, or for some people, right when you turn your TV on, it automatically <laughs> goes there. I'll be uh, giving you high school highlights and Bills and Sabres updates and stuff like that starting at 5 15 this evening 15 and 45 past the hour every hour and tomorrow night you and i will recap the bills absolutely and we will win do, or lose yeah win or lose we will talk about what happened between the niners and the bills and that will also air on time Warner cable news all right cool so check him out there and he's going to check out his indians game two this afternoon right four o'clock 408 is the scheduled first pitch so I did not really watch last night's game. Uh, I was, like I said, out meeting some friends. Kind of recap what you thought about last night to catch me up and everybody else maybe. Pitcher's duel. Marco Estrada was fantastic for the Blue Jays. Eight innings, just allowed two earned runs, and it came on a two-run homer by Francisco Lindor in the seventh inning. Corey Kluber didn't have his best stuff, but he went six-plus, shut out innings. And then, as the Indians have done throughout this point of the postseason, they go to that bullpen. Andrew Miller lights out. And Cody Allen shuts it down. And that's really the formula for the Indians is can you get your starters at least through five, preferably six or seven, but if you can get them to five, they go to that bullpen, and Terry Francona is going to mix and match and utilize his three big horses, which is Andrew Miller, Brian Shaw, 
and Cody Allen, and that's how they swept the Red Sox, and that's how they took Game One against the Blue Jays. So the Andrew Miller trade is paying off. Oh, absolutely! For sure, right? And they paid a steep price. Yes. I know as a Yankees fan, Clint Frazier is a monster. Yeah, I'm a Yankees fan, so that's good to hear because I know for for the Yankees it was a good trade too. They actually made a run without having him, but you know it's good to see that it may, it, this might be one of those rare it actually winds up benefiting both sides, right? And the thing with Andrew Miller, and especially with the way Terry Francona will use him, is he's not just a situational left-handed pitcher. He's a guy who can be stretched to two innings, which he has been during points of this postseason. He's also a guy that he could be your closer. He could close. He could be your eighth inning guy. But now the way Francona uses him is what is the most critical situation of the game? If Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion or any of those Josh or Josh Donaldson, any of these big horses in this lineup or in the Red Sox series, Big Poppy, someone like that, he'll bring them in in the fifth or the sixth, that's the critical point in the game to him to lock it down, and then he'll move forward with the rest of the back end of the pen. He, so what you're saying is he wouldn't use him like Buck Showalter would use him? Uh, no, he would because he would use him. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. He, he would he, use him. He, he he, he's use the him. antithesis of that, and I kid because obviously Buck didn't use the closer, even though Andrew Miller's not, but that was just, a, I think, a poor decision not to. But this Toronto lineup is no joke, though. I mean, they, they can hit the ball. What they did last night, night scoring is amazing. I thought. Especially the way they had been hitting mm-hmm. against Texas. One thing is this. The Indians scored more runs than the Toronto Blue Jays in the regular season. They just do it in extremely different ways. The Indians, they can hit home runs. Mike Napoli was a, was a monster. Carlos Santana hit a lot of home runs. But they're also more of a situational type guy. They are the best team at running the bases, whether it's just steals or, or taking an extra base, first to third, or tagging from third to home. In, in those situations, they're the best in all of baseball in doing that. Those analytics people like Shope, I know he loves analytics. Mm-hmm. That's what they're really good at in those things. And those things don't show up on SportsCenter, so to speak, and, and the big highlights. But it's those moments of the game that make a difference. And that's how the Indians win games in that instance. Of course, last night, they got a two-run homer, and that was the only real mistake Estrada made. But they can beat you in other ways. And again, they like to shrink the game to almost five to six innings. And if they can get you down at that point in the game, they have guys in their bullpen, even outside of those big three at the end, that they can count on to lock it down. To the point where, in game four, they might do a quote-unquote bullpen game where Mike Clevenger will start. But if he only goes two or three, then it's all bullpen from there. I know we're already actually over getting out, but I want to get I want to just do this real quick with you since you are from Cleveland and you went through a championship finally, uh, very much akin to Buffalo, Cleveland. Obviously, all the years of frustration with the Browns and the Cavs and every and every other team, the Indians, of course, you know. But you finally won, and I remember back in the '90s. I remember when the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup over the Florida Panthers, and then in Denver had not won. Denver was was snake bitten. They couldn't win a championship. They lost all those Super Bowls. They finally win one. And I remember somebody I knew who's from Denver said after that, the Broncos immediately win like a year or two later. And then then they double up. He said, you know, as soon as you win, the floodgates open. And he said to me, I think Buffalo will be like that someday. Obviously, we're still waiting. Is this what's going to happen to Cleveland? It's amazing. They, 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 you wait so long and then all of a sudden just here it comes. We hope so. And also, you asked me in July after the Cavs won, does it change your perspective overall on the sports thing? It does. The Indians lost their number two and number three starting pitchers, a a well-respected 
newspaper writer, the beat guy for the Indians, wrote September 17th, an article, September 17th, the day the Indians' World Series chances ended before they even began. He got killed for it. And I didn't disagree with his points, but the new That's mindset, the mentality. But th- that was the mi- mindset there. But for me, they lose those two guys. Why can't they? No one. The Cavs should not have beaten the Golden State Warriors, mm-hmm. especially when they're down 3-1, to one, and they did. The Indians should not win the World Series because the Cubs are this great behemoth and the, the Jays are really, really good and the Red Sox are really, really good. But we've proven that we can win a championship. Why can't it continue to go on? It's a great point to get out on because the Sabres, losing Jack Eichel, <laughs> losing Evander Kane, maybe, maybe a glimmer of hope there. All right, hang in there, Sabres fans. we got game number two tomorrow night against the Oilers, and it'll be right here on WGR Sports Radio 550 with pregame beginning at 6 p.m. John Scott, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate right, it. Hope, hope, you, hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. having you. Nate Geary, thanks a lot to producing today. Paul Hamilton came your way as well. ESPN Radio up next on WGR. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.